We're going to continue our series of summer gospel nuggets this morning, and we're going to do it a little bit differently today because we're going to look at three different passages, looking at three different stories. But the title of our lesson today is going to be called The Stronger Man, The Stronger Man, and we're going to look at three short stories from Scripture that reveal this truth to us. So I hope it's a blessing to your soul this morning. Did you ever come across someone better at something that you're good at? Think about that question. Did you ever come across someone better at something that you're good at? Well, I want to tell you the tale of the Travises. It seems like every time I meet someone named Travis, they're better than me at something that I'm good at, and that's really annoying. The first one I'll share with you is my brother. My brother's name is Travis. Travis is younger than me, but there's a few things that Travis is better than me at, and one of them was video games. Growing up, I was a good video game player, and I prided myself in that. I could beat all of my friends at video games. I was the one who was good at video games. But then Travis would come along, my brother Travis, two years younger than me, and he'd, sometimes he'd pick up a video game that he had never played before. He'd be like, hey, Todd, what, what's this new game you're playing? Oh, yeah, I've never heard of it. Do you mind if I play? It's like, no, not at all. Let's play. I'm pretty good at this game, so I expected to beat him. Travis would pick up the controller, dominate me, drop the controller, and walk off. I'd be like, really? You know, and every single game, Travis, he was like a prodigy. Did you know that? We should have got him like, you know, thousands of dollars. I didn't even have any idea how to turn the games on. No, you didn't. No, Trav knew that too. But Travis was like a prodigy of video games. He could beat anybody. I think he still can. He's amazing. Anyways, but that was annoying to me because I was the older brother. I was supposed to beat up on my younger brother in everything, right? But Travis dominated me in video games. Um, fast forward to college. I went and lived at the dorm at Clark Summit University, and uh, in my dorm was this guy named Travis. And on campus, even though it was a small campus, I was the funny guy, right? I was the guy that could make people laugh. I wasn't really walking with the Lord, unfortunately. So, so my reputation was the funny guy, was the guy on campus that made everybody laugh. But there was this guy in, in my dorm that I hate to say it, he was really funny. And uh, his name was Travis, and I should have seen it coming, but Travis was funnier than me. And the reason he was funnier than me is because Travis would go to any, any limits necessary to get the laugh. And there was a line that really I wouldn't go past, not necessarily a moral line, but a line that I didn't really want to make myself look foolish or stupid. But Travis would do anything to get the laugh. I mean, he was good at physical comedy, and my humor was usually at the expense of others. <laughs> but Travis would do whatever necessary to get the laugh, and he would start to get laughs that I thought I should get. And so Travis was funnier than me, and I had to realize that. And one more story. Fast forward to my time in Michigan when I was a minister. Um, as a minister, I was doing things like evangelism and, you know, discipleship and things like that. And I had gotten pretty good at evangelism going. We were doing this basketball outreach where we'd invite all of these, you know, um, young adults in, these teenage kids into our gymnasium, and we'd preach the gospel to them. And it was a really cool thing. But then I met this kid whose name was Travis, and I should have seen this coming because of his name. But Travis was just a natural at evangelism. He was just better than me. He was bold. He was confident. He would go up to people and share the gospel just right in their face. And if he got rejected, it wouldn't even bother him. He'd go right to the next person and... Travis was just better at evangelism. And so all throughout my life, every time I meet someone named Travis, they're better than me at something that I'm good at. So if I ever meet another Travis, I'm telling you right now, he's going to be a better podcaster. He's going to call it the Travis cast. It's going to sweep the nation. But for whatever reason, Travis's are just better than me at something that I'm good at. Well, I want to share a story with you from the Word of God today. It's someone who is better 
that someone else, someone who's stronger is actually where we're going to go today. And it's called The Stronger Man. And I want to take you on a journey of three different stories. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 11, if you have your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11 to start things off. But I want, I want to share with you our four goals today, okay? We have four goals that we hope to get to. And these are our four goals. Number one goal is to understand that we were held hostage at one point by sin and death. That's goal number one, to understand that we were held hostage by sin and death. Goal number two is to understand that we were unable to free ourselves from the devil's bondage. And the scripture puts that forward. Goal number three is to understand that Jesus is the stronger man. And he came to completely free us from sin and death so we may live for the reason we were created, which is righteousness. That's goal number three. Goal number four, which we will tie up at the end, is to love one another as validation of our life and freedom in Christ. Those are our four goals that we hope to get to. Before we get to Luke chapter 11, I want to set one verse before you as the backdrop for everything we're going to say today. It comes from 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. If you remember, we went through the book of 1 John, and this is a passage that has always stuck with me ever since I've looked at 1 John. But listen to what this verse says. It says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that a powerful verse? I'll read it again. The reason the Son of God appeared, Jesus, was to destroy the works of the devil. And that right there is going to be the backdrop. That's really what we're going to put forward today as the theme of our lesson, is that the stronger man came to destroy the works of the devil. We're going to look at three stories today. Like I said, the first one from Luke 11. We're going to look at three strong men. It's a metaphor, but we're going to look at three things that are versus Jesus. And in our first story, it's going to be sickness. Sickness versus the stronger man is our first story. Because in every story, there's going to be a strong man and there's going to be a stronger man. In story number two, it's going to be demon possession versus the stronger man. That's story number two. And story number three is going to be death versus the stronger man. So sickness, demon possession, and death. I want to take you to Luke chapter 11 now, and I want to read you the first story. Sickness versus the stronger man. We're going to look at verses 14 to 23. Listen to the word of God. It says, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the mute, excuse me, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges." Verse 20, but if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his, pos his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. In our first story, as you might be able to tell, we have an enemy. Okay, we have a strong man. And our enemy, as you would all know by now, is, is Satan. Satan is our enemy. The devil is our enemy. And he has many workers that work for him as well, but he is the primary enemy of all Christians. 
And he has a couple tools, a couple chains that we're going to call them, that he likes to lock up people with. Okay, These two chains, these two primary chains that I see in Scripture are sin and death. You might be able to call them the wrist and the ankle chains, okay? One is sin and the other one is death. And our enemy loves to use these two chains, these two tools to hold people hostage. Okay? So Satan, we're going to find out right away, is in our first story. This tool, sin, that Satan is going to use and has used and is going to use going forward is being used to claim countless of souls and do untold harm to the people that God has created. Because it says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Death and sin are together. Sin and death are a team. And the devil has been using these chains for countless generations. And in Luke chapter 11, Satan is the strong man. And he's using these two chains very well. He's so strong, according to the parable that Jesus tells us, that he's able to guard his own possessions. And no one can take him away. He's that strong. Sinners and people, at least for a time, are Satan's possessions. And he holds them with a very tight grip. And none of us, myself included, can get away from Satan. Because he's strong. He's very, very strong. He's supernaturally strong. And he has these really powerful, really tough chains called sin and death that he just holds us tightly with. And so this story is sort of representing that. I want you to imagine right now... If you had your wallet stolen, but it was stolen by the strongest UFC fighter in the world, okay? We're talking about the biggest, baddest fighter in the world stole your wallet. And you want to get your wallet back, but this guy is really, really strong. Not only is he strong, but he's prepared to fight you for it. So imagine if you had to get your wallet back from the strongest UFC fighter in the world. That's probably not going to go real well, is it? Even if you have some adrenaline, because the person is very, very strong. In the first story that we see here, Jesus encounters a man who was possessed by the devil. Possessed by the devil. The word possession probably wouldn't surprise you, but it means completely controlled by the devil. I want you to imagine this guy. In the parallel passage in Matthew 12, because Matthew also tells this story, this is what it says in Matthew 12, 22. It says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Anyone ever have a bad day? You ever have a bad day? This guy had a bad day. He is blind, mute, and now demon-possessed. You ever had a bad day? This guy wins. Dad, Pastor Mel, the other day had a bad day. I'm just going to share a little bit of this story. Pastor Mel, unfortunately, this is a sad story, but we're going to laugh at it a little bit. Pastor Mel, on his way to a root canal, tripped on some stairs and bloodied himself in his knees and his shoulder and somewhere else. And that was a bad day, wasn't it? <laughs> now, we can laugh about it. He's a little bit better. He's still kind of wounded. but on, <laughs> I'm still going to laugh. On his way to the root canal, he trips on some stairs and bloodies himself. Now, that's a bad day, but I think even this guy right here can beat you. He's mute, blind, and demon-possessed. So if you ever think you're having a bad day, I want you to consider this guy. Okay, This guy has bad days. But this is not where the story ends. Um, because it says in Matthew 12, 22, our parallel passage, it says, then Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And he also removed the demon, which we're going to find. This man is mute and blind, and he's hopeless. And that's really what the story wants to put forward, is this man is hopeless. He's hopeless. 
he's blind, he's mute, he's demon-possessed. He can do nothing to rectify his hopeless situation. And that's an important detail of the story. He's blind, he can't, out, he can't seek out Jesus. He's mute, he can't call out to God. What should happen for such a hopeless soul? He's beyond hope. And this man, unfortunately, represents, he's a parallel for our hopelessness before Jesus comes into our life. Did you know that? That's how hopeless we are. And that's what the passage, I believe, wants us to see. This is us. Before Jesus comes to us and comes to our rescue, we are the hopeless soul. We are like the mute, blind, and demon-possessed person with no hope and no possibility to rectify our situation. Because the devil is holding this man and is like holding us in his grips. And this man represents us. We are so spiritually sick and controlled by the devil at one point that there's nothing for us to do. There's nothing we can do. Because he's the strong man. And according to the parable that we're going to get back to here, it says the strong man's able to guard his stuff. Because he's strong. But then enters Jesus. And by his own authority and his own supernatural strength, he completely heals the man from his demon possession, from being mute and from being blind. And the man speaks. Now, you can't really validate if someone was blind and they can see because you just have to take them for their word. But if someone had been mute and never spoken, all of a sudden, in an instant, speaks. That's validation, isn't it? That's validation that all of a sudden this man had been cured from being mute and being blind. And this is incredible strength. We don't even see a struggle here. Jesus doesn't come up and find a demon-possessed man going, okay, let's go. You know, one-on-one, we're going to have the two strong guys fight each other. There's no struggle at all. Jesus comes in and removes the chains and says, you're free. You're no longer mute. You're no longer blind. You're no longer demon-possessed. You're free. It's incredible strength. And in this first story, we see there's a stronger man, isn't there? There's a stronger man. Jesus in the story has to correct the poor logic of the people because the people are claiming that he healed this person by the power of the prince of demons. And Jesus undoes that logic pretty quickly, saying, why would the devil unlock someone from the devil? That makes no sense whatsoever. A kingdom divided against itself is not going to stand. And he says, but if I have done this by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I want you to listen to the parable again. He said in verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. That's just obvious, right? If there's someone strong who's trying to secure something, he's in good shape. He's strong, he's equipped, he has armor. Verse 22, but when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. You know what it's talking about? Sinners. Us. Not as the stronger man, not as the strong man, but as the possessions of the strong man. The strong man is guarding us, securing us, holding us. But when Jesus comes in, he takes away the armor, he divides up his plunder, and sinners are free to go. I asked you to imagine having to take your wallet back from the strongest UFC fighter in the world who was prepared to fight you for that wallet. Now I want you to imagine in the same story, in the same parallel here, that you bring along with you a hundred Navy SEALs to help you. Do you think your odds just increased? Do you think that even though that UFC fighter is really strong, that you're probably going to get your wallet back that day? Because you have a hundred Navy SEALs there ready to fight if need be to get that wallet back. 
That's kind of what we're talking about today. There is a strong man. He is super strong. He's very strong. He's supernaturally strong. The mute and the blind man was held hostage by the devil, and the devil was never going to let him go. So that's not what we find in the tale. The devil does not release his grip. The stronger man takes it away. And someone stronger comes into the story supernaturally strong, much stronger than the devil. And we need to understand from this story that the devil is the strong man. He's the strong man. He's supernaturally strong. He's stronger than any one of us. If we were going to take the devil one-on-one, we're going to lose that fight every single time because he's strong, he's equipped, he has armor, he knows what he's doing. But we also need to understand that Jesus is the stronger man. When Jesus came to the demon-possessed man, there's no fight, there's no resistance. The devil did not release his grip. The stronger man simply took him back. And we have to think about this with Jesus, because when we think about Jesus, and maybe Hollywood has done this to us, unfortunately, we picture this guy with long, flowing hair, this meek, mild-mannered guy, which he was. Jesus was meek. He was compassionate. He was full of mercy. But we can't lose the sight that Jesus is strong, supernaturally strong. He has all authority. And that's why I asked TGD to read Hebrews chapter 1. Do you see that? He holds up the universe by the word of his power. Try to imagine that strength for a moment. He holds the universe by the word of his power. Stay. And it does. Jesus is the stronger man. And Jesus came to this man's rescue. And he healed him from every single one of his ailments. He's no longer mute. He's no longer blind. He's no longer demon-possessed because Jesus has authority to do so. And because Jesus loves people in hopeless situations, doesn't he? So the strong man, the strong man, the devil, lost to the stronger man this day. Sickness, both spiritually and physically, lost to the stronger man. This man was healed from his blindness, from being mute, and he's also healed from his demon possession. And I want you again remember that the man is representing what we were before Jesus came into our soul. We were the hopeless person. And that's story number one, Jesus versus sickness. Sickness, spiritually and physically, is the strong man, Jesus overcame him because he is the stronger man. That's story number one. Let's move on to story number two. Story number two, even though we've encountered it already, story number two is demon possession versus the stronger man. And I want to take you to Mark chapter five. This is a passage that we've looked at before, but I want you to see it in a different light today. Mark chapter five, verses one to 13. This is an amazing story. This story has always amazed me, and I love reading this story. Listen to what the story says. In Mark 5 verse 1 it says then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the gerasenes and when jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces no one had the strength to subdue him Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Verse 6, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. 
Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering around 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and was drowned in the sea. You notice this story? Is this story amazing to you? This story amazes me. This is remarkable, what's happening here. In our second story, a man is possessed by what looks like thousands of demons. Now, in, in the tale before that, a man is demon-possessed, but we, don't, we can only assume that it's one demon or one uh, demonic worker. But in this story, it's thousands of demons. And the reason we know that is because when he's asked his name, he says, my name is Legion. And the, name, and the word Legion means thousands of soldiers. That's what it means. That's what Legion means, thousands of soldiers. And we also find out later on that when they're cast out of the man, they go into 2,000 pigs. It's likely possible that this man is possessed by 2,000 demons. And because of the strength this man has, this man is the strong man. This man is the strong man. He's obviously very, very strong. He's supernaturally strong. We're going to find out he has much more strength than any man or men. And Jesus, excuse me, Legion is so strong in this story that numerous attempts by men to subdue him, even with chains and shackles, are unsuccessful. Because you have to picture Legion. Legion is chained and shackled. I'm, I'm, what I'm picturing is I'm picturing them going to get their strongest men in the county, okay? Find our strongest men. We got to get this guy out of here. Go get our strongest guys. So they get their five to ten strongest guys, and they say, let's get some chains. Let's get some shackles. We're going to bind this guy, and he's not going to be able to get out of these things. So they get this man on the ground. They wrap him up with chains and shackles, and to, finally he's subdued. And Legion simply stands up and wrenches the chains apart and breaks the shackles in pieces like they're rubber bands and continues spreading evil across the region. Why? Because he's supernaturally strong. And no man, no men, no chains, no shackles can subdue Legion. That's how strong this man is. Listen to the resume, even in this passage. He lives in the graveyard. <laughs> This guy is living among the tombs. He's living in the graveyard. He's crying out all the time. He's cutting himself with stones. And even when he's chained and shackled, he wrenches them apart like they're not even there. If Legion was living in your neighborhood, do you think you'd want him out of there? Maybe you'd want to move, right? If Legion was in your neighborhood, don't you think you'd be terrified? Don't you want, you wouldn't shield your kids from Legion, not want to go anywhere near his part of the neighborhood? This man is terrifying. And he's strong. And he's doing countless evil things. What is to be done? Men can't do anything. Even with their best attempts, Legion breaks the chains and shackles apart. But, once again, in this story, Legion encounters Jesus. And Jesus, once again, is our stronger man. The demon possession is a parallel, unfortunately, again, for our strength, excuse me, for the devil's stranglehold over us with sin. We need to understand that. That this story is teaching something deeper. And I want you to remember our verse at the beginning. Verse John, 1 John 3, verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now, in this story, it's sad because there's a man who's possessed by thousands of demons. But it's much more sad that people who practice sin are of the devil. The devil owns them. He is their father. 
He is their controller. He is the one holding them hostage. And this is representing something here today that unfortunately we are the man who had the possession take over us because Satan had a stranglehold over this man. Satan is the strong man. Satan is so supernaturally strong. Even though the people of the area wanted this man gone and wanted him to, to be subdued, their best attempts are useless with such strength. And this is a parallel for our desire to be free from sin, but our incapability of doing so upon our own strength. Can't do it. So even if you want to be free from sin, even if you want to be free from the devil, even if you know he's a bad father and that he's hurting you and abusing you, you can't leave because he has you in his grips. He knows what he's doing and he's supernaturally strong. But in our story, once Legion meets Jesus, Legion pretty quickly comes to terms with who he's up against. I have to imagine this story. It says he's on the mountains, you know, near the tombs. I have to picture that he's sort of elevated. And it says in the passage that Jesus sort of came ashore and got out of a boat. And I'm picturing Legion on this mountain, you know, in this graveyard, kind of looking down. And he sees a boat kind of come up onto shore. And a man gets out of the boat. And Legion sort of locks eyes with this man. And all of a sudden, Legion very quickly comes to terms with who it is. It's the Son of God. It's Jesus getting out of the boat. And here is where the story takes an interesting turn. Because what you might expect at this moment is now we've got a fight. Now we got ourselves a fight. We have 2,000 demons in one man versus the Son of God. This is going to be a great fight. This is going to be pay-per-view worthy, right? This is going to be a really good fight. Is that what happens in the story? No, not at all. Legion, once he understands who, who's coming out of the boat, does something astonishing. He realizes Jesus is the stronger man. And he runs to where Jesus is and he throws himself on his face and he begs for mercy. Why? Because Jesus is the stronger man. And even Legion, 2,000 demons, come to terms with He's stronger than us. And they're terrified of Jesus. And here we have an interesting scene because they sort of ask Jesus for something. They have a request. And the, the, the demon says to Jesus, Jesus, son of the most high God, do not torment me. Do you see those pigs over there, Jesus? Cast us into those pigs and we'll, we'll go down and drown in the sea. And Jesus says, go, be gone. And they do. They cast themselves into the pigs. The pigs rush down the sea and drown in the sea. And you know what? That was mercy. That was merciful. The demons knew what Jesus was capable of doing. And they said, Jesus, son of the most high God, do not torment me. I don't know what that meant. I don't know where Jesus could have sent them, what Jesus could have done to them. But they considered being cast into thousands of pigs, drowned in the sea, merciful. And so they're like, Jesus, please don't do what you can, you're able to do. Please send us into the pigs and let us die in the sea. And Jesus says, okay, I'm merciful. Be gone. Wow, right? Isn't that an amazing story? Jesus is the stronger man. And even 2,000 demons recognize the power and the strength within the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot more we could awe at from this story, and at some point we probably will. But I want to reflect right now on some of the weapons of evil that the devil uses against us, because there are several. And I want to look at five categories of lifestyle sins. Lifestyle sins, big sins, and we're going to call them weapons of evil, that the devil uses to keep people in his grips. Because according to the parable, 
In Luke chapter 11, it says, Jesus, the stronger man, comes in and takes away the armor in which the man trusted. And I want to talk about those pieces of armor that the devil has. He has some armor, and that armor is the power of sin. He uses sin as his power to strangle us, to keep us hostage, to keep us subdued so that we can't get away. And I'm going to look at five lifestyle sins quickly to understand the kinds of weapons that the devil has at his arsenal. Okay? Because sin in the arm of the devil is very, very strong. Okay, let's look at five categories. There are more sins than this. There are more categories of sins than this, but I want to look at five big ones that I see from Scripture of lifestyle sins. Okay, number one. This is a big one. Idolatry. Idolatry is the biggest, baddest sin that I find in Scripture. Idolatry is the worshiping of something or someone that is a false god, but has the person convinced that 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 person is worthy of their worship and devotion. And sadly, just as it was back in the day, it's all around us. I might even say it's worth an atheism. Because even an atheist can come to terms with they're wrong, I'm following a wrong path, I should find God and serve him. But a person who serves an idol, a false god, is not easily coming away from that because they believe they're serving the one true God. And that's the devil right there. That's how strong and crafty he is. He sets up something else, someone else, and says, that right there is worthy of your worship and devotion. That's God. Serve that. It could be anything. Back in the Old Testament, they made a gold calf with their jewelry, and they bowed down to it, right? And said, thank you, God, for getting us out of Egypt to this gold calf. But it could be anything. It could be a false god. It could be money. It could be any sort of hobby or person that's in your life. When idolatry takes place in the heart, it's really, really strong and really bad. And it's really hard to come away from. Serving a wrong God, as you might have to assume, is deadly. It's deadly. And God warns us of idolatry all the time, saying idolatry cannot exist in your heart. It cannot But idolatry is the biggest, baddest tool the devil has in his arsenal. Don't just serve nothing. That's not as advantageous for the devil. Serve something false. Serve a false God. Because if you serve this false God, you probably will never question that your God is false. You'll continue to serve and worship him for the rest of your life. And then you'll stand before the one true God. And that devil, or excuse me, that idol will fail you. Just like it did with Baal and Elijah. Remember? Elijah said to the people who were serving Baal, all right, let's test your God. Let's test him. Let's make two altars, okay? I'm going to ask my God to send down fire from the sky, and you're going to ask your God to send fire down from the sky. Did Baal send fire down from the sky? No, he didn't, because Baal doesn't exist. Baal isn't real. No fire came down from the sky, but now it was Elijah's turn. And just to make things interesting, they doused the altar with water. Water all around the altar. And then he said, God, God of heaven, the one true God, send fire down from the sky. And it scorched up the water. Scorched up the altar. But if we serve a false idol, a false god, it's going to let us down. And the devil loves to use this one because he loves to keep people in his grips. And nothing better than a false god. So that's big bad sin number two. Lifestyle sin number two. Excuse me, number one. Number two is this. This is another big bad one. Sexual immorality. I have worked with young men for the last um, 10 to 12 years. And in my experience with uh, young men and dealing with young men, sexual immorality 
is one of the biggest, baddest sins out there. It has so many of our young men, that's, the numbers would astonish you, so many of our young men in its grips. And these men honestly believe, most of them from talking to them, that there's no way out of it. It will always characterize them. There's nothing they can do. I, I do it all the time. I, I can't say no to it. I have no control over sexual immorality. It's just going to be a part of me for the rest of my life. Do you see how big and bad that sin is? It's capturing our men, at least our men. Our young men are being captured by this one big bad sin called sexual immorality. And these men seem hopeless, like our guy in our first story. There's nothing I can do. I've tried. I've tried to stop. I can't. There's nothing I can do. And it's such a gripping sin that the devil is using this sin to kill millions. Because no one can be sexually immoral and follow Jesus at the same time. Do you know that? You can't do both. So, being in sexual sin means you're not following Jesus Christ. But that's a really big, bad sin. And honestly, it turns into idolatry to some degree. But this is sin number two. Such a gripping sin that even people who want to leave it are unable to leave it on their own strength. And we're going to come back to that because that's not the goal is to do things on our own strength. But here's sin number three. We have to fly over these because we don't have the time to look at them in depth. But uh, sin number three, lifestyle sin number three is anger. Anger, even fits of anger would work with this one. I want you to picture like the Incredible Hulk. We are full of superhero references uh, here in our world. But the Incredible Hulk, you guys know that character, right? He's, I guess, a mild-mannered guy, but if something makes him angry, <laughs> he gets big and green and starts smashing things. Well, I want us to picture that kind of with anger. Anger could be a mild-mannered person. It could be someone who, when things are going well, things are good, everything is fine. But as soon as something makes us angry, we are worse, or we are capable of the worst imaginable things. And I've been in this one. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be mild-mannered and a nice guy, a kind guy, but to get angry and things change quickly. Anger is a lifestyle sin because it also, just like sexual immorality, convinces you you're never going to get rid of this. You're never going to get out of this. This is just who you are. The best you can do is try to suppress it. But anger is a lifestyle sin because it's inner rage. It's inside of us. It controls us. When it comes across us, there's nothing we can do except lash out like a rage monster because the devil has us in its grips. Number four, covetousness. Covetousness is one that the scriptures speak a lot about, but unfortunately, I don't hear a lot about it today. But covetousness at its core is greed. Covetousness at its core is greed. It's always wanting more and better and rarely being satisfied. I think in our culture we have deemed it the American dream because that's why people come to America, right? To get more and better, to chase more and better, more and better, higher, better things. But I'm going to call it the American sin because I don't know if any Western, more, any culture more than our Western culture here that struggles with covetousness more than we do. Because it's the opposite of being content with what the Lord has given us. That's really what covetousness is. I want more. I need better. Lord, more, 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 more. And the Lord says, be content. Be happy with what I've given you. But we can't. We're in a culture that tells us chase earthly treasures. They become our God after a moment. And that God doesn't seem sinful. We're chasing what everyone calls the American dream. It's no big deal. We just want more and better. That's just how Americans are. And God says, no, it's wicked. It's evil. 
It's not what I have for you. I want you to be content with what I've given you on the earth, and I want you to chase things that are eternal, things that cannot perish, things that cannot spoil, things that cannot be spoiled. And the Lord talks about covetousness a lot. If you read the Old Testament, this word comes up a lot. And honestly, it's always next to idolatry and sexual immorality. That's how strong the Lord considers covetousness. It's a big, bad lifestyle sin. And the devil, when he grabs us in that grip, it's really hard to get out of that one. Here's another one. This is our last one. I'm going to call this one passion, drunkenness, and addiction. This is another really bad sin, a really controlling sin. When we are controlled by any sort of addiction, it has a grip on us. Isn't that true? And we seem to have no control over our actions. The addiction dictates what we do. The addiction dictates what we think. I'm not who I am. I'm only who I am based on the addiction. And there's no release from this addiction. It could be anything. You could put anything in there. But the big one, drunkenness and drugs, things like that, have taken over our society. And people feel enslaved to these things because they are. The addiction will not let them go. The addiction owns them. That person is controlled by the devil. And the devil uses all of these five categories of sins, and even sins beyond this, to keep us hostage. Because that's his goal, to keep us hostage, to never lose us. He has to get really strong, powerful things. Because if we consider that there might be someone better to serve, there might be something beyond this world, then we might consider our Lord Jesus. But if the devil can use these five categories of lifestyle sins to hold us down and say, I own you, these are the best you'll ever get, this is always who you're going to be, will never, ever be released from those things. But this is not the point of today's story. These sins and other sins are lifestyle sins. There is no cure. There is no victory that lies within us. And that's kind of the point. We can suppress these sins for a while, but they're still there. They're lying dormant. They're lying in wait. They're festering. They're waiting for a prime opportunity to rear their ugly head again and to reveal to us that we are still bound to them. But suppression of lifestyle sins is not the victory we need. We need to cut sin's head off. Do you remember David with Goliath? After David beat Goliath, what did he do to Goliath? Whoosh, cut his head right off. He wasn't there to knock down Goliath and hurt Goliath's feelings. Goliath had to die that day. So does sin. And I want you to remember the verse that we started our lesson with today. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Notice it doesn't say suppress the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. When a strong man guards his stuff, he's able to secure it. When the devil binds us with a lifestyle sin, there's nothing we can do to change it. I've tried. I can't free myself. I don't know how. I'm not strong enough. The only thing we can do, the only thing anyone can do, is hope that someone stronger comes to our rescue and overpowers the devil and sin's grip on us. We need a stronger man. That's what we need. And thanks be to God, Jesus is our stronger man. Jesus not only breaks the shackles of sin on our souls, 
but he gives us the power to live for righteousness. And that's what 1 John chapter 3 is telling us. You're free. Once I come and break the shackles of sin and death in your life, get up. Move away. Leave the area. Leave the tomb. You're no longer bound. Now live for righteousness. Live for the thing you were created to do. Live for the thing that pleases your God. Not live in defeatism. Following sin and acting like we are still bound to sin is defeatism. Saying, oh well, I'll never get out of this. I'm just going to lay down. There's nothing I can do. But if Jesus comes to your rescue, he wants you to know, just like our band played in our song. I didn't even plan that. Our chains are gone. We've been set free. Amen. We are not bound by sin any longer. Listen to this passage from Colossians chapter 1. I'm not sure I put this one on the screen, but listen to it. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you notice something there? Your entire kingdom has changed. You resided, you were bound by the domain of darkness. But when the Lord Jesus came to your soul, he transferred you. You don't even live in the devil's domain any longer. You're free. You're in the kingdom of his beloved son. We, if we're in Christ, are free in Christ. But even if we believe this, what are we to do? Because we're weak. And it seems like the devil can come and control us anytime he wants. Because we're weak. And he knows the sins that plague us. He knows the ones that we're most prone to. And he's going to come and bully us. And he's going to come and try to say to us, I still own you. I still have these chains. I know how to get you. So what are we to do if we're weak people? Well, I want to take us to our third story. Our third story is from John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm going to read an abridged version of that story. This is a story we've shared before a couple times too. But our third story is death versus the stronger man. John 11, verses 1 to 44. I'm going to read the, the beginning of the story, and I'm going to read the end of the story. Okay? And I think most of you will remember this story. Verse 1 of John 11 says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Now I want to bump down to verse 38, and I want to read the end of the story. Okay, this is an amazing part of the story. After Jesus finally comes to where Lazarus is, 
in verse 38, to the tomb. It says, now Jesus said, excuse me, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb where Lazarus was. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Then Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. In the third story, the strong man is death. We've met a couple strong men by this point, but death in this story is the strong man. And as, we, as we've learned from Scripture, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that physical death is a parallel for spiritual death. I want to read you a portion of Ephesians chapter 2 just so we remember what we're talking about. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you notice that? And you were dead. Every one of us was completely dead in our sins. This is according to God. Death, as you might guess, is worse than being bound. Because even if we are being held hostage by the devil, we have a glimmer of hope that we might be able to be freed, but not if we're dead. If we're dead, isn't hope gone? Isn't hope gone if you're dead? Isn't it over? Is, hasn't the ship sailed? Isn't hope gone by that point? In this third story, Lazarus has been dead for four days, and all hope seemed to be gone. Everyone had given up. Even those who followed Jesus considered that Jesus coming to Lazarus at this point was a fool's errand because Lazarus wasn't sick. Lazarus wasn't very sick. Lazarus wasn't near death. Lazarus had been dead for four days and his body stunk. And now Jesus comes. The strong man death is so strong that there seemed to be no hope whatsoever for Lazarus because Lazarus is a corpse. He's a cadaver. He has no life in his lungs. He has no breath. He has no heartbeat. He has no pulse. He hasn't had it for four days. What is Jesus going to do? Death is the strong man. But as our first story is represented, then enters Jesus, the stronger man. Jesus comes to the tomb where Lazarus had been laid for four days, and he does something astonishing. He yells into the tomb, Lazarus, come out. This is going to be really awkward if nothing happens. Jesus yells into the tomb of a guy who had been dead for four days and says, Lazarus, come out. Not, I forgive your sins. Not, Lazarus, I hope all is well on the other side. Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. And everyone marveled, as you might imagine. Lazarus was not dead any longer. Are you starting to notice a theme here? 
How is that possible? The stronger man. Even death bows to Jesus. Glory to God. The strong man was death, and death at this point was undefeated. Until Jesus came to the earth, death had never lost. So it says in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our sins. That's bad news, guys. That is bad news that we were not just enslaved to our sins. We were dead in our sins. But we have to remember that the stronger man has authority over the strong man, sin and death. And he came, just like Lazarus, he came to our tomb and yelled into our tomb and he said, Sinner, come out. And what can every single one of us do when we turn to Jesus? We can come out. In fact, the scripture demands that we come out. It says, repent, run away, because you can. Get up from your chains, the chains of sin and death, the plaguing lifestyle sins that hold you down. Get up and walk away because you're no longer bound by those chains. You're no longer bound by that sin. It does not characterize you any longer. You are free. Maybe you remember the passage from John 8 where the sinful woman, the uh, prostitute, is there and the, the Jews have stones in their hands and they're ready to throw them at the woman and stone her to death. And Jesus says this thing. He says, you who was without sin, throw the first stone. If you don't have any sin, you can throw the stone at this woman. And in verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to the woman, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And, she, and he said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. You're not who you were any longer. You are alive. See, we were bound. We were held hostage, and we were dead in our sins. All of that was true. We were bound. We were held hostage. We were dead in our sins. The strong man is real. We need to understand that. The strong man is real. He's not a fictional Halloween character, okay? The strong man is real, and he's very, very powerful. And without a very strong Savior, we are hopeless because there's nothing that we can do on our own strength to rectify that situation. But thankfully, glory to God, praise to God, there is a stronger man, and he came and laid down his life as ransom for our sins. And this is what makes him truly strong Three days later, up from the grave, he arose. Because death bows to Jesus. Death could not defeat God's people. Because death is not the stronger man. Jesus is. He came to each one of our tombs, each one of our chains, each one of our shackles, and he unlocked it. The devil's control, you're free. The sin that held us hostage, you're free. The death that enveloped our soul and defeated us, you're free. Get up and move. Get up and live. Get up and do what I've called you to do. Live with new life and new purpose. You're not dead any longer. Jesus is the stronger man. And if you have life, it's because of the stronger man. And now, what is our goal? If we have turned to Jesus, and I need you to ask that question in your soul today, have I turned to Jesus? Do I have the stronger man in my soul? Because if I do, I will know it. I won't be chained any longer. I won't be dead any longer. But what is our goal if we are alive and free from the chains of sin and death? And it's very simple. We need to live for the reason we were created. We need to live for righteousness. 
We need to live for Christ because that is life. There is no life without righteousness. There is no life without Christ. If we are alive, we will be validated by the fact that we live for righteousness. If the stronger man is our savior and our friend and our ally, we cannot be held down by sin. We cannot be held down by guilt or fear any longer. We are free in Christ and we're free to please our God and Father and to be fully and finally reunited with him one day forever. Amen? I want us to get rid of this defeatism that circles our Christian life. The fact that we're still chained, we're still bound, we're still held down, we're still sinners. It's never going to change. We are victors in Jesus. If we go on sinning, it's on us. Because the chains and the shackles and the power of sin and death have been removed. They are not, they are not there any longer. If we go on sinning after being freed from Christ, it's on us. It's not on him. He completely removed the shackles. He completely gave life to our souls. And he completely gave us the power to live new. We are free. And if we live for righteousness, then the stronger man is with us and we cannot be defeated. We mustn't listen to the lies of the devil that tries to convince us that he still owns us or that we're still bound by him or that we cannot come out from our sin because he knows he's already been defeated. The most he can do is lie to us. We are not dead any longer. Listen to what 1 John 3, 8 says once again. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Has our Jesus done that? Has he destroyed the works of the devil in your soul, in your life? He has in mine. All glory to him. And those lifestyle sins that we talked about, if we believe in Jesus, if we're in Christ, they have no hold on us any longer. And I think one of the reasons we're still struggling is because we haven't left our sins. Get up and move away. Because if you're in Christ, you can. And if you can't, you're not in Christ. It's that simple. We are not dead. We are not chained. We are not bound by sin any longer if we're in Christ. Sin is rendered powerless and we can walk in newness of life. And like I said, if we can't walk away from our sin, it's likely that Jesus, the stronger man, has not yet come to our souls and unlocked those chains. Because if those chains have been unlocked and those chains are gone, we can live for righteousness. That's what the Word of God says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Look to Jesus and be saved. Be released. Be freed from your sin and your death. That's all it takes. John 3.16 is the most famous passage in the entire scripture for a reason. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you see the stronger man? He's alive, he's real, and he's here for you. But Luke 11 says this sobering truth as well. It says that if we're not with Jesus, if we're not with the stronger man, we're against him. It says in Luke eleven twenty three, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And I want you to consider just for a moment that there is a stronger man. His name is Jesus, and he is the Son of God, and he has all authority in heaven on earth. Now what if you found out on the last day that not only are you not with the stronger man, you're against him. 
He's against you. That's a sobering truth. And many will realize that on the last day, unfortunately. That not only are they not with the stronger man, he is against them. Because they didn't come out. They didn't leave their tomb. They didn't turn to Jesus. They didn't believe that he could free them from the chains of sin and death. But being with the stronger man is safety and security forever. And I hope we will all understand that today. I want to look at a couple applications and we'll be done. I have two applications. Number one, for all that we have learned today, number one, let us believe in Jesus. It's that simple. Let us believe in who he is. Let us believe that he is the stronger man, that he came to free us, that he came to destroy the works of the devil. I want us to believe that there is no life without Jesus. There is no life. It doesn't exist without Jesus. It's only death and darkness without Jesus. But Jesus is the Savior. He is the stronger man, and we are not. We need the Savior. Number two, for all that we have learned, let us come out from our sins for good. Let us repent. Let us leave the tomb of our sins for good. Is it sickness spiritually that plagues you? Is it sin? Is it one of those lifestyle sins that we talked about? Is it death? Satan himself, is he holding you in his grips? If you have been freed by the stronger man, come out from the tomb. You're not chained any longer. And if you're not, like we said before, if you're not able to come out from your sins, you got to turn to Jesus today. He is the only one who can relieve you from your sins. And number three, for all that we have learned, let us live for righteousness. It's that simple because righteousness is life. If you want eternal life, that's how it starts. Live for righteousness. Live for the things that God cares about. Our application number two is the best way to do all of that is to listen to and obey Christ's commandment to love one another. Because as we learn countless passages over and over, love is the validation of our, of our belief with Jesus and our life with Jesus. Love is the validation. If you practice love in the Christian life, there's your validation that you believe. That is the validation. You cannot do that without the stronger man's help. So do you walk and practice love? Number two, love is validation of our freedom from sin. Chained people cannot walk in love. They can't. They're dead in their sins. So if you can walk in love, it's validation that you have been freed from your sin. Love is also the validation that we are on the stronger man's team. And the Lord wants us to strive after love, strive after righteousness for the sake of our Savior and our Lord. Love is very, very important for a life that has been freed from the stronger man. Prove your freedom to the devil today by walking in obedience and love to your Lord. Prove to him, you don't own me any longer. I am free. Today, let us give all glory to Jesus, our stronger man, for the victory we have over spiritual sickness, over sin, over death, and over Satan himself. Live for victory and prove it by walking in righteousness. Can we pray? Father, thank you for this passage. We wouldn't know these things unless you presented them to us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came to us. There was no hope. There was no salvation unless your son came to our tombs and unlocked our chains of sin, sickness, and death. We give you all glory because that has happened for many in this room. 
And Father, we want to live with victory. We want to live with defeatism any longer. We don't want to live like we're still chained in our sins, like we still have to walk and practice things of our old selves. We don't. Father, I pray for all those in this room who have victory in Christ, that they would realize that victory and they would walk confidently and boldly in righteousness and in love because of the victory they've received in Christ. Father, for those in this room who may not know you, who may not know this victory, who may still be chained in their sin and the death that follows that sin, Father, only you, by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, can unlock these chains. And we ask that you would today, that someone would find life in you today for your glory and for your praise. We thank you for this passage. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.